0: Welcome to The Global Connection, a Tel Aviv University podcast. Journey with us as we discover how TAU's academic community and friends are engaging with and helping to shape this ever-changing world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Global Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Anna Sajeki. and today I have in the studio with me Dr. Dara Barnett, uh, who is a senior faculty member and head of the Division of Languages at Tel Aviv University. Uh, she is also the author of Walt Whitman and the Making of Jewish American Poetry. And Dara originally came to Israel and Tel Aviv University in her early 20s um, and stayed on to complete her PhD here. Dara is also a poet and author of the poetry collections Headwind Migration, In the Absence, and The City I Run From, Poems of Tel Aviv. It's great to have you here.
1: Anna, thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for your time and your just being able to be here and have this conversation.'m
0: I'm, I'm really excited to have it. Um, so I figured I'd start off uh, because you actually came here um, and began your your time and your journey in Tel Aviv in Israel as an international student here at Tel Aviv University. Uh, and as our listeners might know, the the podcast is actually sponsored by the International School, so it's a fun little alignment there. Um, so I, I thought I'd begin there. If you could tell me a little bit about what the International School was like twenty years ago.
1: Yes, well, of course we have to start here. Um, Indeed, I did start my kind of path at Tel Aviv University as a student, as a junior, what was called then a junior, my third year of university. Uh, I spent all here at TAU in the, what was then the, the overseas program. And I got so much out of that, so much so that I actually finished my BA degree at SUNY, at Binghamton University in New York and came back to, to, to live in Tel Aviv after that. Um, and then some years later, not too many, actually, I... Uh, joined the teaching faculty and uh, in the international right. school, right. Uh, teaching creative writing. Um, that was back in 2009, I believe, was my first course. I was still a student then. I think uh, maybe a very early or mid doctoral student, but in any case, um, I have a lot of uh, history with the the staff in the international school and the wonderful students who would circulate through my classroom. And I think a lot of my teaching actually comes from that connection to to being here at the university and in Tel Aviv and, of course, even within, uh, you know, this country more more broadly.
0: Um, So I do have to ask, is there something unique about being in the atmosphere of an international school. So being with, you know, students who come from all over the world, um, you know, you've seen it as a student, you've seen it as a teacher. So yeah, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think an international classroom is one of the most special classrooms that can exist. You know, where you have students from the US, from Canada, from Europe, you know, uh, all bring their different languages, perspectives, cultures, interests. Um, you know, and it, in in terms of creative writing, like this can be a lens that they through which they 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 be view the world, and that gets brought to bear on the writing that they do, whether it's poetry or. Uh, non-fiction a little bit of fiction also but uh, I think the focus would often be non-fiction so they'd be writing about themselves and often like the the exercises in the class or like the writing prompts would be oriented towards you know just go out into the university or go out into the city and choose a place and and write about it and um, they would bring that back each one from their own
0: individual viewpoint okay okay and I do actually want to have a larger conversation about uh, your poetry. you' You've taught poetry, you've taught nonfiction, like you mentioned, um, you've had activities where you've had students going out to sort of depict place. And I find in your poetry, um, there are so many beautiful depictions of Tel Aviv that you have. Um, but before we jump into that, I'm, I am curious because coming here about twenty years ago, mm-hmm. What was your experience of Tel Aviv then, and how would you say it's kind of changed? That's really interesting. Um, Well, I think,
1: I think I kind of I did discover my own poetic voice here, like in very specifically in Tel Aviv. Like I find myself very rooted to place, and because I have been here for this whole this this very long stretch of time. Um, and a lot of my experiences are here just of, of life and, um, even loss, um, you know, all, all kinds of, you know, anything I've gone through in my life, you know, in, term, in language and eventual motherhood, I mean, uh, things get filtered, you know, through that. Um, I find myself very, uh, rooted, like just in the city itself, in the streets, um, and I think that I also ha- carry with me a kind of outsider position here because, uh, I'm, you know, again, I've been here for more than two decades. I've been at this university teaching um, and now in this new role as the head of a wonderful division here called the D- Division of Languages. Um, I think I, I kind of I reside very deeply in the margins, if in in a certain way, just not having grown up here, you know, I came to Hebrew at a later stage, um, and all of that, and I think that is part. And I and I think I, I because I process a lot of my own life experiences through writing, through through mm-hmm. poetry especially, but even sometimes nonfiction writing, uh, you know,
0: that that's all in there. Okay, if I remember the timeline of your poetry, the the collections you've published. You really did kind of start with the publishing anyway after you had moved to Tel Aviv. Yes. So was there something in that shift of environments, perhaps, and and your experience here that really compelled you to take poetry more seriously as a poet? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think first of
1: all. I needed something, I needed poetry at that time. You know, I needed to, to work out things that I was dealing with uh, through poetry. Um, I think I also met some amazing mentors, poets um, that were on faculty uh, who were teaching. And I was very, I was fortunate enough to take workshops with him and classes with him. Um, and these are, again, still colleagues that I, that I work with and collaborate with even until today. Um, and I would add thirdly, and this is something that I that I've heard other English language writers and poets uh, talk about, that there's something about coming to a place that's kind of unfamiliar, that is liberating in a sense, because you're kind of because you're kind of other, you you develop a space that's that can be really like your own, and you kind of have to fill it and it's it's destabilizing and disorienting in a way, but in a way that can also be kind of a catalyst for for creative work. Okay, um, if okay. that makes sense.
0: It no, it, it definitely does. Um, but I'm I'm thinking about some of the work um, in the city I run from, and some of your poems. And I I do see how you're inhabiting that space of otherness, but at the same time, I see you as a very conscious poet. And so you're always positioning your own subjective experience in relation to sort of a bigger picture of Tel Aviv, a bigger picture of Israel. Um, So can you talk about that, about sort of positioning yourself in sort of a wider place in, in all of the stories that inhabit that place? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say that I have, like, an, a particular
1: agenda okay. um, in that sense, but, you know, certainly, you know, my, like, the, let's say the chapbook that, that came out that was the most recent thing, it's like the city I run from, but it's like, but a lot of, it for me, is how I run from it, but, like, I always return to it, and actually I'm here. Um
0: so what does what does Tel Aviv mean to you in your in the poetry that you've written because you've mentioned it it's been you're taking a bit of a break right now so looking back on the poems what what sort of Tel Aviv arises from that poetry I mean for me it's, it I would say it's
1: the Tel Aviv of the moment you know it's a Tel Aviv for me not not necessarily in a political sense but of like the immediate lived daily experience like this is where I walk down the street. This is where I get coffee. This is what my son sees when we're out in the stroller. And he's not in a stroller anymore, but like when we were, um, you know, seeing Rabin Square, you know, all the details like that, like are, are you know, something that I that I carry into the poetry. Um, I kind of because uh, like I have Walt Whitman as a, as a kind of strong influence. I tend to sometimes go into like a, an, an anaphoric mode or a mode of
0: listing you know, or, or like cataloging details. Um, maybe, maybe expand on that a little bit. So Walt Whitman, um, you are an expert on Walt Whitman. Um, you've, you've studied songs of myself, um, very much in detail. So how, how does he influence your poetry? So, so when you say cataloging, like even what, what do you mean by cataloging? So cataloging,
1: it's like, um, so it's a Something in poetry that's like where you bring in lists of things. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that's like can be, I mean, really it can be anything—names or street names or fruits and vegetables. I mean, really it can be anything. Uh, and sometimes I I find myself using or kind of adapting those
0: that that style that's okay. like traditionally associated with Whitman. Okay. So in his work, how does he catalog? What sort of things does he catalog? I guess you can ask, like, what kind of things does he not catalog? (laughs) Okay. Because, you know, he writes these
1: very hugely expansive uh, poems that are, you know, where anything can be brought in. People, places, things, nature. I mean, just like... There's almost nothing left out of there. And that's why the poems are also like so long, you know, that they're they're supposed to be very inclusive and democratic and kind of they're they're supposed to allow everything and everyone in. Even like people who like, let's say, are marginalized or invisible, like
0: to bring them in and sort of have them be present to the reader. Okay, so what I'm hearing is there's a sort of sense of responsibility behind cataloging. It's sort of it's trying to be as representative as you can be. Yeah. It could be that there's actually something very
1: democratic about that. And I've, I I know that about Whitman. I haven't thought about it for myself, but maybe you're actually seeing something that I, okay. I hadn't seen, that there is a democratic
0: kind of element to that too in relation to Tel Aviv. And yeah. Okay, okay. Interesting. Um, are there other ways you've been influenced by Whitman in your work? Um, well, you know, my... my um, I have such
1: a love of, of Whitman's poetry in particular. Um, I think that uh, the early, like, there was a time when I was looking for a topic for my dissertation where I read all of the editions of Leaves of Grass And was just really taken with it. And I was lucky enough to be able to teach courses on Whitman, um, both here at TAU and uh, abroad for for CUNY. So I've had many, many classes also where we dig in and we analyze these texts. And, um, you know, I think for me, it's the rhythms, it's the, the music of it, you know, just on that level. Like if you're just to not even analyze the meaning of it, but you just listened, you know, you just like... He, read it aloud or just, it's the language and, um, the alliteration, which is like where you have a, a repetition of like consonant sounds basically. Um, you know, uh, all of that, uh, the sound patterns, you know, reach me. Um, there's something very prayer-like about Whitman's poetry, um, which also like relates to uh, a lot of Jewish American poets, which has been my subject of research for uh, quite, uh, many years now. Um, There's also like, very often that's like a thread that runs through some of the responses to Whitman.
0: Okay, okay. Um, Do you mind if I ask, since we're on the topic, um, can you elaborate a little bit more on that in terms of how Jewish American poets pick up Whitman? And it sounds like there's specifically there's that rhythm and that prayer-like attention to language. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes it relates to that, Sometimes Whitman, you know, because he was like a very democratic and even kind of outsider poet, although now he's not really considered that way, but he was for a long time, that there are poets, Jewish American poets from like the earliest 20th century, like in the time of high modernism, um, who were sort of othered themselves, like within the little literary world and just like politically. Um, and so Whitman was like a poet that they adopted to kind of, well, First of all, yeah, to mark themselves kind of as American, you know, to like be part of that tradition, but also claim something much more social, much more democratic and with a with almost like a social justice like element to it, I'd say.
0: OK, OK. Um, since you mentioned rhythm, one thing that I picked up on your poetry, uh, when you dem- when you. Um, In in your poems, um, when you're representing Tel Aviv, um, there are multiple times when you turn to the Mediterranean, specifically. And in terms of rhythm, I almost feel like there's this fluidity of water, this motion, and I kind of sense that rhythm in your poetry. Um, I could be way off, um, but is that something you've picked up on too? Um, Is the Mediterranean itself meaningful in your poetry? Yeah,
1: that's, that's really interesting. I mean, okay, so I do think if there's a place for, like, anyone really to go to, like, kind of be somewhere and have an experience it's like, very unique to Tel Aviv and to just this this place, you know, um, or or for a student, you know, to just go, like, do some writing. Just, to you know, just, like, on the beach, you know, uh, early in the morning or, or late in the evening when not a lot of people are there is a very... Like inspiring place, and I think because I was here from a relatively young age, you know, even before like my early twenties, like when I was here as a student myself, I would we would go there a lot, and I and I just and I wasn't even writing poetry at all then, you know, it wasn't really like something I was engaged in. I don't think I'd found my my poetic voice yet, or you know, or wasn't engaging like that, but. Um, I definitely have a lot of memories of just being there, you know, myself and
0: seeing something greater than myself. And yeah. OK, OK. So it's partly that idea of that expansiveness, that being, that it's greater than yourself. And I wonder, too, if it, it's partly the contrast with the city, um, you know, the city full of people and buildings and ideas and stories and then and then there's the Mediterranean yeah and it's always amazed me here that like you can go there
1: and it it can be like a bustling city you know like so loud and now it's even more with the construction and everything but you can find times of the day like maybe again like I'm not so much like there in the evening but like certainly can go in the morning and be almost alone there you know and that would really strike me and I think stayed with me. Um, now that you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and, and in your work, too, like you do, again, beautifully capture these moments of the city. Um, but you will always hold um, a sort of, not as busyness, but there's sort of an activity um, very much aligned with the city with sort of these images of I would say eternity or nature. So I'm thinking there's another poem you have. Um, I forget the title exactly. On the way to Beresheva, um, but you end with um, this image of sand, kind of taking over everything too. And and so, do you think a lot about that relationship between city and nature, between sort of the moment and even eternity? Um, can you can you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah. Um... You know, I do think that poetry can give us something very unique when it comes to the eternal. I mean, because first of all, like a poem can live eternally, even beyond a human being, you know. Um, and I think for me, nature plays into this idea of um, sometimes loss or like experience of grief or or difficult experiences, you know, that one, one can go through in life. Um, and something about the eternal like resonates for me. Uh, it's almost like a hopefulness actually, you know, it's not just like, okay, this very difficult thing has happened. That's the end of it. But there's something beyond that's It's almost optimistic. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So, it, and I noticed too, that you do when you, in your work, when you're addressing grief, you're often looking to, to hope at the same time. Um, and you have this sort of vast, vacillation between ideas often. So um, so grief and hope, um, familiarity and strangeness, um, even the desert and flooding. Um, so what is it about wanting to go back and forth between these ideas? What what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, I, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I mean, a couple of things come to mind. Like, I think that One thing that I often teach is that a poem can contain contradictions. You know, in a way sometimes a poem will speak to us because, you know, because life is full of contradictions. And uh, a poem can hold these things together, and in a way that, to me, can be very satisfying. You know, because because oftentimes situations, our our experiences are complex. You know, they're, um, and we can feel one way one day, and something else another day. Um, and I'll and I'll and I'll say that Walt Whitman too. Like, there's a there's a strong element of of contradictions. You know, in Whitman, and it's an embrace of contradictions. And I think that there may be something also from his poetry that I
0: kind of took from that. Like you can be, you can contradict yourself. Okay. Okay. And so that contradiction, that holding two opposing ideas together, um, that's partly just about the complexity of how we live too in trying to capture that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I I know you've, as a director of the Division of Languages, you're maybe not teaching, poetry um, and and writing as much these days but um, if you were to give advice to potential poets that we have um, uh, in terms of how do you go out around Tel Aviv and look at it poetically what would what would be your your advice there I love this question as as a teacher I love it <laughs> um
1: so okay first of all I would say like if you're new if you're new to this or even if you're not like, you can go out with um, a sense of curiosity, like, rather than criticism, you know, because I think sometimes, especially students in the beginning, and not just students, you know, everyone, like, they're kind of apprehensive about writing, you know, and what that's going to bring up for them, and I would say, okay, first of all, start with a perspective of curiosity rather than criticism, and then take yourself somewhere new, you know, go to like a new place. And this has been one of my creative writing exercises. Like I, I say, don't go by yourself, but like, go, go somewhere, you know, go to the beach, go to a new street you've never visited. Um, go to, go to a new restaurant, you know, um, go to a new place on campus that you haven't been before. Go check out a statue or go to a museum. I mean, you know, it's endless and, and just, just write about it. That's it. You know, without, too much direction or or worry about it. Just just respond to what you see. Okay,
0: okay. Well, I feel like that is an activity I'm going to encourage everybody to go out and try a little bit and um, get to know Tel Aviv a little bit more. Well,
1: I hope they would enjoy it and and they should. And thank you so much again.
0: Thank you, thank you, Dara, for joining me today. It was my pleasure.